everyone. Welcome to another fabulous edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me as always is Mr. Dapper himself, Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Dom. I'm very happy to be out of the house and in the studio. This is my adventure of the week, so I'm super stoked. <laughs> Speaking of adventure of the week, who, who is our guest today? Well, I hope I pronounce his name right. I can get the first name for sure, Michael Sant'Arcangelo. So I believe it's an Italian name, and he is the founder and president of Security Catalyst. So looking forward to chatting with him. Yeah, you did a beautiful job in that, uh, pronouncing that name. That's definitely okay. an, an Italian name. So <laughs> we'll take a pause here. We'll bring Michael on board and we'll have an epic conversation with him uh, right after this. Let's do it. Michael Santarcangelo, welcome to Cybersecurity Matters. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So Dominic and I want to dive into your background a little bit and understand kind of your business path and your career path. So you've, you're doing uh, Security Catalyst now. You've done all kinds of things in security and privacy before. <laughs> so yeah. take us through the, the origin story from Genesis to today. I asked too many questions. I, I can sum it up just like that. But that's, you know, that's it's how I got started. I graduated. A lot of people in security have degrees in technology. They they were computer engineers or they were programming, and I was none of the above. Um, now, to be fair, in school I had a knack for explaining technology. I enjoyed it. I liked it. It, it just, you know, I, I was a policy analyst by training. And it turns out that's really useful because what I learned is that people have an impact on systems and systems have an impact on people. And we have to be able to assess those. We have to be able to measure those. We've got to quantify it. If you think about all the challenges we have in security today, it was a perfect background. So what happened was I ended up getting a position with uh, Accenture back when it was Anderson Consulting. And it was, oh, you know, a bunch of guys that went to your school are on a tech team. Congratulations, you're on a tech team. And then, of course, it was, well, you're not a techie. Well, let's see if you can solve this or this or this. It turns out I could because I didn't think about it the way they, they did. I didn't understand how to think about it. I just I solved it. And then one Friday afternoon, uh, and so this is back in the day, like we still had NT351. So we had like a server farm of NT351. I think maybe somewhere in there we set up an NT4.0 box. Um, we were running all our own tape backups. We had a batch window. We had it like we could shut down the servers every night at 10 o'clock as long as they were up by six o'clock. We had a couple of Unix instances like it was it was neat. And I was responsible for all of that, as well as all of our software distribution, as well as our uh, source code control, as well as all our networking. So I, it, was, it was very busy. And somewhere along the line, I figured out that uh, our consulting documents were being shared on a public drive, which meant any of the partners could get to him, any of the client could get to him, frick, anybody could get to them. And so I brought that to the partner's attention as he was getting, you know, boarding a plane for the other coast. And he said, cool, fix it by Monday. And, and that sounds simple. But if you go back to the 90s, you know, it's, Google wasn't there yet. There, I think there were like three books and I bought them. Like, you know, I went to Barnes and Noble and got practical Unix and Internet security, which didn't really help me with the Windows box. And I, I found some sort of NT351 configuration guide. I worked at it all weekend. I got it fixed on Monday. He came back in, first step, uh, his first stop was at my desk, and he said, hey, did you fix it? And I said, I did. He said, really? What'd you do? Explain it. He said, cool, let's go to dinner tonight. We had prime rib and lobster tails and red wine, and I went, I like this thing. And that, you know, nice thing you know, was here's our security guy. 
And, and what's funny is if you look back at it, I had people tell me that was a mistake. Michael, you're going to ruin your career. You're going to pigeonhole yourself. Why would you do security? What's wrong with you? <laughs> By the way, I just don't have an answer to that question. And so that just, it, it led, there was a, they were forming up a really cool group. There were about uh, 20, 30 of us um, based out of Chicago. And we solved some of these really gnarly security problems in the early days. And then uh, that led me to a couple different startups in and around New York City for a couple of years. And in those startups, and even at my time at Accenture, I got known for explaining security differently than other people. And so at a time where we had partners selling the work out instead of, you know, to us, to, to our competitors, it turned into, hey, Michael, you need to take midweek and fly to all these different places and go present security. And I can remember I was at a place in Detroit, uh, I was in Detroit, I'm uh, pretty sure it was Detroit, and I made a reference to Tommy Boy uh, just on the fly, like it was like one of those, it pops in your head, you just say it. Everybody laughed. You know, 500, 600 people in the room, they all laughed. And I went, oh, this is good. I like this. We we could do more of this. But what was more important was they started understanding, like, I don't know, I had to explain SSL or something, right? And it starts making sense and connecting. And I really enjoyed sharing what I had learned. I then became uh, a member of the National Speakers Association uh, I spent some time training uh, people for ISC squared for their CISSP. And, and it was a great privilege in my life. I, I got, cause I, one of the comments I always got back was you really put the P in the CISSP. It's the professional, like you, like you're a steward of the profession. You, you care about us. You care about the profession. And I got to tell you, if you can go into it with an open mind, it, there's no better way to learn because I had to cover everything. And I figured in every class, Every single person there was better at me, better than me at some topic, if not multiple topics. And so I used to buy a lot of people lunches and say, teach me, let me get better. And so, you know, you do that for a bunch of years. That then leads to a lot of people saying, hey, I really like the way you explained X. Could we, could we hire you to come solve that problem for us? Sure. I mean, I'm not good. At, I, w- I wasn't good at saying no, I've gotten better at it. And so I would say, you know, the first 15 years of my my career was a lot of going and solving really gnarly problems with people and helping them and connecting them into the business and saying, well, but hold on, I don't understand, right? I'll be the dumb guy in the room. Help me figure it out. And then starting to take what I was learning and share that back. So I wrote a column, I wrote a book, uh, I wrote a pod, I wrote, I did a bunch of podcasting and I'm always interested to share because I'd like it when people come back and say, well, it didn't work for me. Cool. Let's go figure it out. <laughs> let's, let's go solve that. Let's, let's go do that next. 2015, I was, uh, I was doing a talk on leadership and communication. So, you know, there's some stuff in there. Like I guess 2004, 2005-ish, I was asked if I could start teaching security people how to communicate better. So what started as speaking about security became communicating the value of security. Fun stuff in there because now you got to start thinking about value. You got to start learning all these different things. And, and, my approach has always been, right, I prize agency. So it was never a, hi, I'm Michael. This is how I've done it. Do it this way, right? And a lot of people, when they want to learn how to communicate, they're, they're asking, how do I present better? Um, and that's neat. But what I really was focused on was, you know, that's the last 10%. Let's go work on the first 90% and get better at it. And so I, I've spent, you know, two decades now really looking at how do, how do we communicate value? How do we craft better stories? How do we communicate what counts, so that the other person understands, and, and we have a sense of whether they understand or not. So that leads you into leadership, that leads you into communication. And in 2015, I had done an event, uh, and um, at lunch, one of the sales folks gets up and says, all right, well, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so, because that doesn't matter. Uh, and uh, we paid for lunch, so I guess I'm here to sell you. 
and you, you could have gotten whiplash trying to count how many heads just were checked out and ready to go. Then he said something that sparked me, and he said, I've been selling you guys for a decade. I'm going to tell you what it's really like. And I went, oh, this could get good. Not like salacious, just more like, yeah, this is going to get real. And yeah, no, it totally did. It was a complete waste of time. And I sat there because I had just come off of doing my stuff, and I said, all right, now that I'm sitting in this chair, if, I, if I'm trying to evaluate what you can bring to me as a security leader, what questions do I need to have answered? And that was essentially the birth of straight talk. And, you know, like a dummy, like I wrote it, you know, it's, it's the back of the napkin, except for this is a nice hotel with cloth napkins. So it was really just whatever pad they had there. And I never thought to take a freaking picture of it. So it's gone. But what happened that night was more interesting. The guy comes up to me over drinks and he says, hey, you did great. I learned a lot. How'd I do? He didn't do well. Um, and so instead of like being like, man, you totally pooched it, I tried to be really nice, right? I was trying to be very artful. And I said, well, oh, I think you really missed an opportunity there. Yeah, so apparently um, that's punching a sales guy in the gut, especially in front of his sales team. Uh, so he bounced, well, what would you have done? EF Hutton moment, right? Bar gets totally quiet. And I, I busted out the questions. And I'm watching his team get super excited. I'm watching the CISO standing around me get super excited. And then with, with no malevolence, right, no, no anger, I turned to the CISOs and I said, hold on, though. If he puts a PO in front of you today and you sign it, how many of you can go back and get this approved? Or how many of you could answer these questions to the satisfaction of your organization? And then, uh, and then it was a really busy night in the next couple of days. And, and there you go. That's the birth of straight talk. My last five years has been working on that. And today what I'm, I'm privileged to do is I help security leaders deliver recognized business value. So I focus on still security and how we apply it and how we apply it in the right situation. But I get a, a, a lot of time now to look at business, to look at communication, to look at leadership, to look at personal development, and to help really good people that are working really hard but don't see the value. And other people don't see the value because if we don't see our value, we don't show our value. I help them get recognized. I help them deliver the, the value that other people need. And, and earn the recognition for it to, to be seen contributing. And it's, I can't think of anything I'd rather do in my life. So it's fun. It's been a, it's been a long road. Like I'll tell you, up until last year, if you'd asked me what I'd done, it, I maybe could have given you fun stories, but it, you know, running a business and trying to really pinpoint the problem that you solve and the value that you bring and then aligning that with something that, that you like doing that was a gnarly ride. I mean, that was 20 years of trying to figure it out, but I think I'm there. So I'm kind of thrilled. Mike, you, you, you and I have known each other for, oh gosh, I'm going to say since the early 2000s and uh, long time. Um, I, I've always, it's been a long time, right? <laughs> and I've always uh, appreciate your, your amazing uh, energy and, and, and different approach or mindset to security <laughs> again it's because you didn't come up Definitely you didn't come up through again the, the, the through the traditional path you know and right. one of the things which uh i know you and i've talked about before but i'd love to get your thoughts on again is in terms of cybersecurity, like a lot of the problems that we're dealing with now still like problems like patch management we've been dealing with those for 30 years um why is it that there's some problems that um in the cybersecurity industry we can't solve is it because we're still just looking at it through an IT lens, uh, what do we need to do to sort of you know, solve yesteryear's problems before we even start solving today's problems? I think that's a great question. I mean, and I mean it sincerely because I liked even the way that you framed it up. Like, are we, are we looking at it with the right lens or, or why? Or, or is it just that intractable? So I think the answer, let me set the, the stage this way. Um, 
if you talk to enough people that have been doing this for 20 years, you either get a, man, this is awesome, or, oh, we're still doing the same things we were doing 20 years ago, except for we weren't. We're not. We didn't have all the cellular devices. And t- I mean, back then, man, if you had a desktop, that thing was on a desktop. If you had a laptop, that was also on a desktop. You weren't putting that on your lap. You know, and, and today, the, the pathways and the things that we can do, they're, they're mind-bending. So I think the question to ask is, how many of the assumptions that we make 20 years ago were accurate? And it turns out, not very many. How, how long is end of life? How long is, I mean, look, anybody who lived through Y2K, those systems were all supposed to be done by the 80s. <laughs> you know, that was the end. We're still running mid-range. We're still running, you know, we're, we're still doing all of these things. I think what happens is we struggle to define the problem. And because we struggle to define the problem, our solutions aren't clear. They're not elegant. And, and, and that's what happens, right? Because, I mean, think about it, right? You say, well, take the problem of patch management. Okay. Wow, that's not a problem though, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's a family of problems. Because if, if I run a vulnerability scan and I come back and I say, oh, all right, Dom, you got um, 5,000 high priority uh, patch, you know, uh, vulnerabilities on that server or on, on these servers that you're responsible for. Okay, well, how many patches is that? How much time does that take to compile them? How do they work with what I have in my current environment? Uh, are they going to break something? If they break something, what am I supposed to do then? Do I need to do them now or can I do them in a patch window? Do I have a patch window? You know, I, I mentioned early in my career, we had batch windows. Like I could take a system down. I could apply a patch. If it didn't work, I could roll it back. I had hours to work with. We don't have that anymore. So I think it's interesting to say, you know, have we solved it or not? I don't know. I've talked to companies that, that have spun up in the last decade that are all, right, what do we say now? Cloud first, cloud native, whatever we say, right? It's the marketing side of it. But they built very purpose-driven, very segmented virtual machines that they can spin on a, a second. Okay, they need a patch, apply the patch. Good, didn't work. All right, roll back. And, and, and they can stay very up-to-date with it. So I think the secondary question is to say, What's the real risk of not having it? Oh, yeah, we'll point to the big things and we'll, and we'll point to, to, the, to the big failures and, and we'll hold out a, a big failure as a systemic failure of the entire industry. I don't know. Here's what I'll counter with. And I, I, I'll start by saying I haven't looked at the data in a couple of years, but the last time I actually looked at it, if you guys are familiar with, right, on the retail side, we talk about shrinkage. So that's the stuff that falls off the back of the truck that never makes it, that breaks, that gets stolen, all sorts of other stuff, right? When I got started in this industry with an economics background, if your shrinkage was kept to four or five percent, like that was, you could be celebrating. You 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 were phenomenal. Around the last time I calculated it, we were hand wringing over the four hundred fifty billion dollars a year lost to cybercrime. The problem was nobody said relative to what four hundred fifty out of what. Turns out it was eighty trillion, which was like you know one point something percent, point something percent. At that same time. The global retail community was celebrating that they got global shrinkage down to like, I don't know, 1.5%, 1.59. They thought that would, could never happen. They're doing high fives and backflips, and we're hand-wringing in security saying, well, we're failures, we're screwed, we're done, it'll never come back. I don't think we look at success the right way, right? I mean, is security there to, to patch all the things or is security there to, to protect the business and the stuff that matters most to allow it to function to fulfill its value? And... The answer could be yes to both, but I don't know. That's kind of how I see it. 
to your point there, I think it's looking at it, not just like I said, like you said, through a narrow lens. It's a, asking the right questions, unfolding the various problems that make up that, that, that issue. Um, and the other thing which I wanted to, to get your thoughts on, I know you, you mentioned it um, at the beginning, sort of that, that art of communication, you know, and especially yeah. – uh, there, there, there are many security professionals, and, and you know our our profession has that stereotype, and it does have it for a reason that security professionals are not good communicators to non-technical people. Um, and like you like you mentioned there, and where I think we're seeing improvements at the at the leadership level, but I still see. Uh, I just why I would like to get your thoughts. Are we doing enough with those who are going to become leaders uh, to help them with the art of communication? No. Often when I speak to students, as an example. Yeah, no. Like when I speak to students, as an example, they'll talk about well, what technical skills do I need? You know, what 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 the what the security software do I need to learn? No one ever talks about you know, do I need to learn how to be an active listener? You know, what can I do to be a better speaker or a communicator? Um, how do we make, how do we make that shift so we should focus less on the technology? And not to say the technology is not important, it is, but there's an overemphasis on the technology. Uh, I think there's a couple of things we can do. First, first and foremost is to debunk the myth that great communicators are born. That they're not made. I, I'm not sure if that's ever true. Certainly, we've been around people who can tell a, a fantastic story, and uh, that's a lot of fun over a couple beers. But the reality of it is, a lot of people who got into technology did it because we like the technology. There's a meritocracy to it, and and my work can speak for itself. Except for that doesn't exist anymore. Certainly not in security. And so, th so the challenge is. How do I take somebody who said, well, I'm not good at it. I was never good at it. I say too many ums and ahs. P.S. No one cares. Um, so the thing is, how do, how do we help people realize that you can learn it? Oh, wait. You can learn it like you learn engineering. You can learn it like you learn a skill. There's an art to it, no question, but there's also a science to it. We never teach people the science of it. We never show them. We never show them that it's not all about presentation. Sometimes it's about how do you break down the message? How do you, uh, how do you assess the audience, break down the message, connect the right pieces together, rehearse it, and then present it in a way that they understand it? How do you then evaluate and measure your performance on it? How do you then improve it could be the same way that we, we handle a lot of other stuff. And that's usually, you know, that's been my approach is to just help people see, see it differently and, and start to get some of that confidence. And then to your point, then we can get into the real stuff that the active listing and, and you know, the, the white space, the pauses, the things that aren't being said, all the, all the really good sides to communication. And that's what allows us to choose collaboration over competition. And I think that's when, that's when we'll really see a difference in this industry. But broader too, I don't think we do a great job at teaching leaders how to lead. I don't think we do a good job of teaching leaders about the business. It's kind of like, okay, you've been here long enough. Good job. Here's your promotion. Don't screw it up. And then we have people terrified to go ask for help. And that's, it's nuts. We have to knock that off too. Michael, I, I love what you said there, and I want to squeeze in one more quick question at the sure. end, but I believe love it's it. an important question. So what you do, what you're talking about, it has so much to do with the cybersecurity practitioner and the cybersecurity leader in organization. You care, obviously, very deeply about someone in that position and helping them really uh, stand out and enable the business that they're in. What do you think that a business can do or an organization can do to facilitate cybersecurity. In other words, looking at it from the other side, what can the, can leadership do to set the tone and 
to improve communication from their side and and really help the practitioner because it's like you know it's a it's a lagging department in so many if, if it exists at all in so many yeah. organizations you know the right way the, the thing where i've had success when i work with executives or I work with boards is to to be willing to admit what they don't know and to just ask the questions and say hi i don't understand help me understand and so what happens a lot of times is, is somebody says, well, I don't understand. And insecurity gets translated to they don't care. Not, it's not, I've never seen that bear itself out at all. The problem is when we say cyber, most people hear spider. And a natural instinct for a good number of people is to kill it and kill it with fire. But now we know that spiders are good for the garden. So I can't kill it, but I don't understand it. And I don't want it here. No way, no how, no thanks. So the challenge is if you're in a leadership position, and you don't understand it, and you don't have time for it, how do you ask a different question? Like, for example, instead of saying, this is one of the ways I lead out, instead of saying, hey, are we going to have a breach here, right? Just say, what happens when breach happens? What happens when a breach happens? By the way, one quick note on that too. I really disdain this whole assume breach approach. I like anticipate much better. It's a lot less defeatist. Anticipation is a good thing. So if there were a breach... Oh, I get it. It's likely. Okay, cool. Whatever. If there were a breach, what happens? Who am I supposed to call? What am I supposed to do? What do you need from me? And I think those are good questions. Um, and then, of course, you've got to feel confident that you got an answer that makes sense that you can see. So if you're a security professional and somebody asks that question of you, that's not a chance to, to rattle off 100 things. Stop and ask them what they think they need. I mean, usually when we work it from the other side, it's the same thing. What do you expect from security? Most people aren't sure. They don't know what it means on both sides. So it's a dialogue, right? It's not a conversation. It's not a debate. It's a dialogue where you try to get to understanding. And the way you do it is you ask different questions. You share stories. You point to actual examples. You show your work or you show the situation and say, hey, what could you do here? Help me out. And then uh, you find it goes a lot further. That's amazing wisdom, Michael. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. It was uh, it was great to see you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. <laughs> Likewise. We'll do it again in the future. Thank you again so much. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, guys. Wow, what a fantastic episode, uh, Christian. I mean, Michael is such a, a speaker. I mean, he, he uh, I think he could just uh, speak for hours on end. Uh, for, <laughs> you asked him one, one question, but uh, uh, curious to know your, your, your immediate thoughts uh, uh, from that conversation. For sure. It makes our job easier. It's, uh, I think, podcast mode uh, definitely took over for Michael. He is a podcast host himself. So uh, he obviously did a fantastic job. You can tell that he cares about businesses, but he cares about uh, cybersecurity professionals as well. So it really stands out to me, the depth of his character um, to concern himself with the security issues of a business as well as all the issues concerning cybersecurity professionals. Uh, absolutely, you know, and, and, and for me, the thing that I really loved what, what he was talking about was really about focusing on conversations and asking questions rather than just being someone who gives answers. You know, the way to move ahead is to an, uh, ask a lot of questions, you know, have dialogue, not just one way conversation, have that dialogue. And also that notion of not just um, accept that breaches will happen, but anticipate that breaches will happen. Uh, I thought those were very, very powerful uh, mindsets that he shared with us today. 100%. 
the, uh, and as always, uh, I want to make sure that we uh, give a special thanks to our, our uh, loyal listeners and viewers for spending part of their day uh, with us. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, please be sure to, to check out the Conversations That Matter YouTube page to check out the previous episodes as well as other amazing uh, podcasts under the Conversation That Matters uh, banner. But until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you next time on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Mm-hmm.